Here in Ross Marlin. One, six, seven, six. Tim Van Wright Oven, who hadn't won a match on the ATP Tour until this week. Welcome back, everyone, to the Love Means Nothing podcast, episode six. Episode seven, I believe. Is it episode seven? Uh, Unless we're calling the first one a trial episode, a pilot episode, we could be episode six. (laughs) That doesn't matter. What matters is the grass season is in full swing. Eastbourne is going on. We have Mallorca in the mix. And we are only five days away from Wimbledon starting. So we're excited. We know you're excited. There's a lot to talk about with regards to the tournaments, the results. We may touch on Wimbledon qualifying just a bit. And also some news stories and what we love, social media as well. So, Drew, what's our first topic going to be? Well, you know, one thing I'll say is that uh, I just want to give a shout out to all the listeners around the world. Um, I know we had a big uptick from, I believe it was Scotland vid or England, somewhere in the UK. So clearly the Back the Brits segment that we're doing is getting some traction. So um, if you're listening to the podcast anywhere out in the world, feel free to give us a like, uh, give us a a comment and then follow us on social media. It's love means zero pod. That's love means zero pod on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, the same, the same handle. So I uh, just want to say appreciate the fans out there uh, and, and love any advice would be great as well. Yeah, the, in that handle, the zero is actually the number zero, not spelled out. And also, I'm just going to correct you, Drew. The listeners where we've been getting some big engagement, what you said they're from Scotland, that honestly might piss them off. So I'm going to correct you. They're actually from Rugby, England. So thank you to the guys, girls, men, women, whoever you are out in Rugby, England for taking a listen to our pod and we hope you're enjoying it and we welcome any feedback whenever you want to give us some, tell us what you want to hear, what you don't want to hear, what you like, what you don't like. Yeah, if you like the stories, you want more trivia, you want less trivia, you want more talking about challengers, futures, whatever it is we can provide. So, If you want, uh, if you want Drew kicked off the pod and replaced with someone else, that's okay too. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, that would be, that would be, That'd be okay. Um, I don't know if it's going to go in a monologue for like an hour and a half talking about talking about tennis here because he's just been complaining to me that he doesn't have enough to talk about. So uh, I don't know about that. But uh, okay, so let's get into it. I think we're going to start this week bid with a monumental change in the rules, potential change in the rules of tennis uh, on the ATP side at least. We saw it happen on the WTA tour a little bit. That's coaching, coaching in tennis, and I think it's kind of a little bit ironic because. I feel like over the past couple of weeks, we've been having kind of discussions comparing tennis to other sports. And we always say the one thing that's different about tennis is you have, it's just you and your opponent. Um, there's no coaching, there's no caddy, there's no outside influence or kind of uh, out of mind with yourself. But as you've seen in recent years with, uh, you know, Sitsipas and other players getting coaching, the ATP has kind of stepped in and announced uh, a, a trial period where on-court coaching will be fully legal. This includes the U.S. Open this year. So there's going to be on-court coaching in a Grand Slam final, which is 
Uh, I don't know if that's ever happened before, but just to go through it a little bit so the listeners, if you haven't heard, know, uh, the ATP announced that it will allow off-court coaching uh, during the second half of the season on a trial basis, starting with events after Wimbledon in July. Coaches will be allowed to sit in designated seats and provide verbal and nonverbal coaching during qualifying and main draw matches. The trial stipulates that the coaches may not disrupt play or hinder their opponent, but they're allowed unlimited communication when the player is on their side of the court. So uh, it doesn't seem exactly like organized or structured. It just seems like a free-for-all where you, you can kind of have a dialogue with your coach in the designated seat um, while you're on that side of the court. So that's kind of the trial thing they're trying out. Vid, I don't know what your thoughts were initially in this. Yeah, initially, I don't like it at all, because as you said, it's one of the biggest differentiating factors of tennis, what makes it so much harder than any other individual sport like golf or boxing or any other individual sport. And honestly, I just thinking about it now, I didn't really have this thought even an hour ago, but it seems like the ATP is just trying to save their own ass with incidents like Sissy Pass and some other players getting coaching and other players complaining about it. And they obviously know that it is going on in some matches. So just to save their ass, I think they are um, allowing it because I would- What do you, what do you mean save their ass? Like they, they feel like there's illegal coaching going on. So they, it's like, like, I guess steroids and cycling where it's like, just make it legal because everyone's doing it anyway kind of thing. Yeah, my point is like hypothetically, not hypothetically, we know that Sissy Pass is getting coaching during the matches and his opponents are always complaining about it, and nothing is ever really done by the umpire on court, the ATP, after the match. And I think this is just a way to get those, you know, annoyances with the ATP and with the players that are getting coached out of the way. And so it's just something that they just don't have to deal with. Because honestly, I think a lot of players may not even use this because they are so locked into their game on the court and they might not even leverage the coaching um, when it's becomes available. Okay. So who do you, who would you say this benefits the most? Does it benefit a guy like Tsitsipas or Alcaraz, another guy who just very clearly won Carlos Ferrero is coaching him up all the time. Does it coach, does it help people who are used to being coached during matches already, or does it help people who maybe uh, are not are not coached as much. Um, think of a, a Herkaz. I don't really see him getting too much coaching from Craig Boynton. But which of those players do you think it affects the most? Is there a certain kind of player uh, it helps? I don't know. Um, there's obviously some players that are better strategically. Maybe it hurts them. What are your thoughts on that? I think that it's going to help players that are already getting coached on the court, like Stefanos and Alcaraz, because even when they they're when they are getting coached, there is this element of trying to make it subtle and trying to get the point across to them when the umpire is looking at their box and oftentimes giving them maybe one warning, two warnings. And that kind of puts a little stress on the player and the team. So as soon as you take that stress away and there's a free-for-all communication between the player and the box, that'll really relieve any tension that the player and the box have. And it'll really allow for free-flowing communication, which is what they – Uh, want and will allow them to execute their game plan better and it's gonna really undermine players who are good tactically on the court because oftentimes when you're in the heat of the battle you're not seeing everything that's going on and someone in your box may be noticing what's going on and their ability to now communicate that to you really takes away 
from these players who are really smart on the court, which is quite sad, honestly. Yeah, so we saw Patrick Martagalou say, kind of come out with an endorsement of this. Not kind of, he did endorse it. And he also basically admitted to the fact that he coaches on court and everyone coaches on court, which I think was a little tactless, let's say. He said, congratulations to the ATP for legalizing a practice that has been going on every match for decades. With, uh, with, and now there's going to be no hypocrisy, basically. Um, I would say I disagree with that. I, did, I just, I hate this. I hate this, man. Because like, like we're saying, for a tennis player, part of being a good tennis player is having the physical attributes, right? The big serve, big forehand, talent. The other part of it is keeping your head being clutch, right? The mental aspect of being clutch. And the third portion of tennis, which is a huge one, is being able to figure out what you're doing wrong and what the opponent's doing right from a tactical perspective. So I see tennis as somewhat of a chess game, right? And if you just gave a chess player like a solver in their head, that would just ruin the whole, the whole point of it. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And what do you think – I'll just, I'll just talk about Mortagalu first. Okay, for, yeah, I just yeah. don't – I think it's total bullshit that he said that. And he's obviously saying that because every player that he coaches and is involved with is getting coaching on the court. That's why he said, made a statement like that. It shows that he's not really – doesn't – Take the game for what it is, which is not what you like to see from. Uh, the, he's showing he has no regard for the rules, right? He's just blatantly admitting that he has no regard for the rules of tennis. Right, which is not what you want to see from someone who, uh, you know, I'm not a fan of Patrick Mortagalu, but he has a huge influence over the tennis world, and there are a lot of people that are fans of him. So it's kind of disappointing to see that. And so, do you think that this is going to be? Is this the gateway into full-fledged coaching, uh, like we saw on the WTA tour for a while, where coaches are allowed to come out and talk to their players? Or do you think, do you think this will be rolled back? Do you think they'll keep it where it is? With well, it has to depend on what happens in the trial period. I think let's start with the actual rule. So there's one way they could have done it, which keeps strategy in the game a little bit, but also allows coaching, where it says, okay, you get one coaching break per match that you can use, and then the coach can, like the WTA did, the coach can come out on the court, talk to you. And that's actually provides more entertainment for the fans too because during the coaching break, they can kind of hear what they're saying a little bit and get some insight into that dialogue. With the way they're doing it, where you can just have a constant conversation with your box while you're, while you're on the baseline or just talking to them all the time, that to me is a total no-go because there's no, there's no parameters. There's no, there's no enforcement. There's no, they're totally taking the strategy out of it. So I'll start, with, I'll start with that in terms of the specific rules that they have. It seems very loosey-goosey and very different to what the WTA did. And the other thing I'll say is that why Patrick probably loves it is that this is going to help coaches, influencer coaches, because it's going to matter even more who the coach is, and it's probably going to put the spotlight on them even more and potentially, you know, raise their pay, raise their profile as well. That's a great point. I didn't even think about that. And Patrick is pretty self-centered, egotistical. You can just tell from – kind of how he brands himself, and I can totally take your point there. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think it should have been thought through a little bit more. And I just, I just think it was a very – I think it was a very – I wonder how they – How Hasty. they came to this decision. It was so kind of rash and weird. And there's no – you know, you talk about the trial period. There's no – I didn't see anything in the press release of what, the, what they're going to be evaluating during the trial period. So – I guess to know if there's going to be a slippery slope, we have to know what they're actually going to be even looking at, right? How would you? How would you? How would you evaluate it? Would you go by what the players want, what the fans want? What would you like? 
after the trial period, so like, here's the thing, cause it's just so extreme where it's like, can you, so here's, like, can you before, say someone's returning, can you like the coach while the guy's split stepping or in, right away split stepping, can you be like, oh, he's going to go down, he's going to go down the tee or just like point by point coaching, which I don't think that's going to be, I don't think that's going to be received well by the players. And I think like, you know how you initially said some players won't use it. I think the other thing is going to cause is a lot of arguments between the coach and the players, because we already see coaches and players getting into it. We saw Medvedev with his coach yelling at him. He, he ran off. So it's not like these, they, these coaches and players have the perfect relationship. So I think it could open the floodgates for some cracks there. So I feel like the players might actually end up not liking it because of the cost of communication, you know, with their coach. Yeah, but you can say that, but you would think that they would discuss beforehand what the player wants. Like hypothetically, if I was a coach and I was coaching someone on the tour, I would talk to them after this rule came out. I'd say, you know, what do you want me to do? Do you want advice while you're playing? Do you want me to talk to you in between yes. after one game? Do you want me to just not say anything? So you would think, I know some of these coaches. Yeah, but that's, before, but that's before the match where they're, everything heads are cool and you're like thinking about not in the heat of the moment, right? As well yeah well as a coach you are employed by your players so you need to do whatever the heck they say yeah exactly so, and now you get to raise your profile even more so it's going to be cause a lot of coaching switches and stuff i think it's actually the drama part of it i'm interested in not necessarily that the way i look at it is this he patrick said everyone coaches right everyone right. does coach it's just like having a speed limit like does anyone really go the speed limit on the highway is anyone going 60 miles an hour no, but you still have a speed limit, so you can limit it, right? You can limit it. So that's the whole, the whole function of it, in my opinion, the non-coaching rule. And the ATP can always put – they can always put an official in each box just to make sure that no coaching is going on, and that'll be that'll 100% solve that problem. The other thing – the last thing I'll say on this is that we, we see sometimes – we talk about the Challenger Tour. We talk about lower-ranked players, guys in the future tour. We like them to break through, et cetera. They are the ones who – probably a lot of them don't have access to any coaching. And if they do, the coaches probably have basically no idea what they're doing. I mean, I've seen some of the coaches that are at this level, not great. So it's going to, the gap between the top, top guys who can afford the best coaches and the lower ranked players who may not even have a coach is going to be even greater. And like those upsets, I believe, are going to be far less often. Right, yeah. Also, yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll make some of these players who may implode on the court. They may be able to calm down when the coach is telling them what to do. And if they do implement it and start, you know, winning some points, then it'll, it'll cool them down. But yeah. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting to see. It'll be fun for us when we go to these tournaments to watch and see the players interacting with the coaches. So that'll be, that'll, that'll be a good thing that we're going to get from this because that'll provide some entertainment for us and the other fans out there. So, so. I, okay. So who's, who's, who would, so you know, how like sometimes we go to tournaments, right. And we sit by the player's box. And we just, just to see their reaction and stuff. It happens a lot. I feel like we enjoy it to watch the player, then watch their box. Kind of like they show on TV, but you're watching it live and you're right there. So give me, give me your top couple of guys or girls. Who would you like to see those interactions with? Like, who would you want to be sitting right next to? I would like to be sitting next to Dan Evans's box. After, Hello! After, after what we saw in Miami, him verbally berating them. I just would like to see that again. Um, who else would I like to see? Um, I, I'd like to see – I'd like to sit next to one of the teams that really does coach, like Sissy Pass or Juan Carlos Ferrer, just to hear what they're going to say to hmm. their player because it'll be real tactical advice and we'll be able to see if we agree with it or not. So I think there's two – you know, there's two ways to 
looking at one where you want to see kind of what real advice they're giving and two, the pure entertainment aspect. So the one, the one player I had a question about honestly is Iga because she's been just in a Zen mindset, doesn't talk to her box really at all, has her sports psychologist. I'm not sure if this will throw her off or like someone who's in the zone kind of playing really well, be it Haddad Maya. I, I don't know. If, I don't know if Iga would even like use the coaching, but uh yeah, someone like someone like that, someone who's doing playing ATP, really well. Though. It's just ATP, right? Oh yeah, you're right. It's just ATP. But I guess in theory, if it was, if it in, was also WTA. In theory, hypothetically, if it was also the WTA, I don't think that Ego would use it because she's like, I'm no. so good. Why would I change what I'm doing? You know, if you're doing, if you're doing really good, you're not going to change what you're doing. It's just not going to happen. I mean, but also if you think of the history of the sport, it's going to change. Don't you think the history of the sport you want some some level of consistency? Where it's like every Grand Slam final, you can probably look at it and be like, if this guy made this tactical change at this point, he could have won. And now it's going to be like, they're going to be fed that information by the coaches. I don't know. Just there's, It's not congruent. It's not going to be congruent because the sport's going to be so different, in my opinion. Yeah, it's definitely changing the sport a little too much. So I'm hoping whatever whatever metrics they're testing on this are don't come out great and they revert, to ba- revert it back to what it should be. So, yep, an interesting topic for sure. But um, we'll have to see what happens. And honestly, this leads perfectly into our next segment. Yes. I was was just looking at it. Our next segment is about the social media presence of a player who gets coached a lot on court, and that is Stefanos Sissipas. And while he does maybe cheat on the court with the coaching, he doesn't cheat on social media because he comes out with some really good tweets. So here's the funny thing, because it's funny that you say that, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bash on Steph because we were looking at his social media and we're like, this guy's got some funny tweets. Like he seems like, um, you know, a thoughtful, introspective person. But one of the tweets actually, apparently, he stole it. So I, I don't know. There's rumors out there. There's rumors out there that there was one of the tweets was from 2013, pretty much the exact same wording. So. He might be cheating on these tweets as well, but I think that's going to require further investigation. But I think for, for the segment, we're going to be like, okay, this is Stefano's own words. And even if he did copy them, I think he still endorses these, these thoughts. So it's good to, good to, we're going to peek into the mind of Stefano's and kind of give us our thoughts on the tweets, I guess. Okay, we'll, we'll go through, we'll read each tweet, and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. And like we said, we love the social media presence from all the players. So if any players are listening, we like that. Gives us some content. Ramp up your social media. Show us what you're doing off the court. Um, you know, it, it's fun. It's fun. The fans. It's okay. It's it. okay to have a personality. Exactly. It's okay to have a personality, and it's you know people will probably like you more. And honestly, it's hilarious. This is off. Actually, no, it's on topic. But I was watching one of the ATP. Like you know, they did the interviews with the players, and and they said, "What's one thing you do when you go to London?" And Thanasi was like, 100% go out. So like, that's, that's great. You love to see something relatable. So that was, that was it's cool. actually a similar topic. We'll go to the, we're going to go to the Stefano's tweets immediately, but I will say this. I was watching a random curious interview. Again, great personality. I, I was, it's like 30 minute, 40 minute interview with him. And he was talking about the uh, Australian Open doubles final, how they had won it, right? They were in Australia. And he was talking about how he, He's, he's with his girlfriend. He was going to go, go home, have a like, couple drinks or whatever. And he was like, and then they were like, didn't Thanasi want to go out? And Nick was like, yeah, mate. Like, Thanasi, he wanted to go out. But Thanasi, he, he goes out there. He has a couple of beers. He has a great time. 
I've got that dark side to me, mate. I've got that dark side to me, so I, I can't do that. So, <laughs> so, so Kiggs was Kiggs was refraining refraining from going out. So that's the kind of stuff we we, we love to hear that those insights. But but yeah, should we get into the Stephanos tweets? Yeah, yeah. Let's get into the tweets. So first tweet, which is I very much agree with Stephanos. Probably ironic that Stephanos tweeted this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I, yeah, ironically, he tweeted it after he shaved the beard. But the tweet, right. the tweet says, "Telling someone they look better with a beard is basically saying they look better the less you can see their face." Great yeah, tweet, so, great yeah. tweet, and very true. Great tweet. I think for in Stefanos's case, he's a great-looking guy with or without the beard. I think he looks better with the beard, personally. I think he looks better without the beard. I think Matteo Berrettini looks better with the beard. Interesting. So you say you agree with that 100%, the tweet. That, that saying that means... No, now, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't agree with it because Matteo... Looks <laughs> <better>. <laughs> I was about to say Matteo is not attractive. I'm like, okay, dude. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, don't, I don't 100% agree with it. I agree with it to an extent. Um, right. But you'll, you'll, see some, you'll see some people grow out a beard because they need to for sure um yeah i would say in some cases it's true but usually it's someone who's ugly without a beard and then they look like kind of normal with a beard does that make like a james harden type exactly exactly um that's that's what that kind of but if you're i feel like if you're attractive you can look good both or look good with a with a beard and you'll still be good looking yeah. right 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 all so. right ne next tweet yeah Oh, I okay, it. here we go. I got it. Uh, next tweet from Stefanos. This is Stefanos after being eliminated at whatever tournament he lost. He lost, I believe, to Kyrgios. But um, the human brain is quite amazing. It functions 24-7 from the day we were born and only stops when you're taking a test or speaking to someone attractive. Interesting tweet. Again, I agree with, uh, agree with the test. It's hard. You mind blanks. Also, I'd say public speaking sometimes for me. But, um, you know, there's times when your mind just goes totally blank. And it's interesting, there was some speculation on social media that Steph didn't specify attractive girl, only someone attractive. So there was some, spe uh, some, some, <laughs> some speculation on social media about that. But uh, no, something I agree 100%. I mean, you could be having a conversation with your friend and then, you know, some attractive girl walks by and then you just, you can't, you forget what you're going to say. So I totally agree with Steph. And it's, it's, it's interesting that he, he had that thought. What do you think? Yeah, no, totally, totally agree. It's 100% accurate. So what would your advice be for anyone who's looking to, for this not to happen to them, whether it's on a test, public speaking, anything? My advice when people are either taking a test or talking to someone attractive. What's your advice? I don't know. If you're struggling with that, maybe take down a couple of drinks. Okay, sink a couple, sink, 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 sink a couple of pints. Maybe that'll help you. Sink, sink it, sink it. The test it'll help you, and when you're talking to someone attractive, so. sink it out. Okay, you have the next one. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so the last one, the third one, is Stefanos tweets. Just another day of not being rich and hot, and I love that one. It's just so funny. Such a troll. He's trolling, right? Just trolling everyone on Twitter and. Just kind of being a dick, but it's it's honestly really funny. <laughs> um, so I don't know what are your thoughts. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe he just considers. I think this is good. It's aspirational from him because he doesn't think he's rich. 
and he's really rich. So he wants to get even richer, which means he wants to win more tournaments, which I think is good. Um, and uh, I think that the hot part, he's trolling. He knows he's a good looking guy. Um, that's just trolling. Um, and he wants people to get in a frenzy over it. So Stefano's playing a little bit of puppet master with his tweets, which I kind of like. Love it. Love it. He's, he's putting these out there for people to have some content to talk about. So thank you, Steph. Appreciate it. Now we're going to move over to everyone's favorite segment, trivia, <laughs> trivia and games. Fun trivia. trivia and games. Fun, fun trivia and games. So I think today we're going to do some trivia and also some quotables like we did last week where we read a quote and the other person has to guess who said that quote. Um, and then also the trivia, as you know, just normal trivia. So we both kind of prepared some trivia and quotes this week. So, Drew, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, let's go with the quote game. And if you're not familiar with the quote game, essentially there's going to be a notable quote in the world of tennis. Uh, one of us will read the quote, give a few options, and um, the, the other person will try to guess who said it. So um, let's go with a um, Wimbledon grass court centric quote here. Uh, interesting quote uh, because it's you know there's a lot of debate of course and here we are you ready Vin? I'm ready okay if we talk about the best players in the history on grass I would place Novak Djokovic at the top of that list was it Goran Ivanisevic John McEnroe Daniil Medvedev or Matteo Berrettini And talk through your thought process, if you will, please. Yeah, I, I just don't think it's Goran because I don't think that he would – I don't know why you'd be hearing a quote from Goran right now. before the About tournament. his current player? Yeah, I just don't think it's him. Um, Medvedev, I don't think so either because I have no reasoning why I don't think it'd be Medvedev. Um, well, I know Medvedev really likes Djokovic and thinks he's like the best of all time. So he might also think he's the best on grass, but I would think that Medvedev would think that Federer would be the best on grass. Um, and then who were the other two? It was either Berrettini or John McEnroe. Ooh. I don't know. Now I'm going to say it's not, I don't think it's Berrettini either because he was talking about how much he loves Roger Federer the other day I saw. So. Oh, really? Interesting quote. <laughs> John Ma now it may not now now I think, uh, I'll go I also don't think John McEnroe would say it either though. Um I'll I'll go with I'll go with John McEnroe. It's probably not correct, but it is Daniil Medvedev, yeah. Oof, really? Yep, he said if we're talking about the best players in history and grass, I'd place Novak Djokovic at the top. Yeah. Daniil. Wow. Um, yeah. So yeah. that's some high praise from Medvedev there. Yeah, I knew it wasn't Berrettini because I knew Berrettini is really obsessed with The reason I put Berrettini in as a guest was because he's been playing so well and he got destroyed by Novak last year in the finals, so I thought maybe you could pick him, but I think they were all relatively good choices. So. Yeah, yeah, it was a tough one. Good, Yeah, good choices. Um, yep, yep. Do you have your quote? I have my quote. Yeah. Okay, let's go. So my quote is with regards to Emma – Radicanu. If you don't know her, she won the U.S. Open last year. Um, uh, I'm aware, yeah. English? English, right? She's from Great Britain. Uh, is she? Yeah. She yeah, is. yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, here's the quote about her. It says, if she lost 
early in Wimbledon, I'd be very surprised. To think that you can't win Wimbledon is ridiculous. So Emma said this. No, 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 no. no. The quote is Someone about... Someone said this about Emma. Someone said this about Emma. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, random quote, but okay. Was it Andy Murray, mm-hmm. John McEnroe, mm-hmm. Laura Robson, okay. or Mary Carilla? Can you give me the first two again? Who did I say? I said Andy Murray. I said John McEnroe. I said Mary Carrillo. And then I said Laura Robson. Not, it wasn't in that order, but those are the four I said. McEnroe doesn't really talk about women's tennis. Doesn't really like women's tennis. Um, sounds like something that he would maybe say. Um, Mary Carrillo doesn't really make um, outlandish statements. Uh, that much, I would say she's never quotable. Um, Andy Murray, I'm between the two Brits because I feel like only British people would say this, Laura Robson or Andy Murray, um, because they kind of believe in their player, I guess. They feel like maybe Emma's getting disrespected. Um, Andy, I feel like I if Andy said it, I feel like I would have seen it, though. So, and I mean, John McEnroe, maybe John McEnroe. I'm between John McEnroe and Robson. I'll go with Robson. So close. It Who was, was it? it was Johnny Mac. Oh boy. Which Fuck. Is, which is shocking. I don't know if that's true. I mean, I, if he's talking about her game, then yeah, her game, if your brain wasn't a factor, is yeah, obviously she's probably a top five player in the world, but she has a lot to think about. Um, I respect I respect Johnny Mac's opinion, so I mean, he knows, we, like us, we say Emma plays amazing tennis. I never said, I wouldn't say she can't win it, but I would be surprised, man. Yeah, I would, of course we'd be surprised. Um, so, yep. Uh, yeah, so should we go to trivia? Trivia, yes. Let's you do can it. go ahead. Let's do a quick one. All right, okay, I got it, good one. Um, so my trivia question is, through Berlin mm-hmm. on the women's tour, Year to date. Year to date at ATP, sorry, at WTA 500 and 1000 events. Mm-hmm. Can you name the top five or the three of the top five girls with the most aces? Uh, sure. Ribikina has to be on there. Okay. That's correct. Do you know what? I would guess because I would guess Sabalenka. She has a cute. Okay. So I've, I've, okay, I, 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 there's five. I'll just go for five. Okay, so you're Rukina, Okay. Sabalenka. This is no particular order, by the way. Is it, or do I need the order, too? No, you don't need the order. That's hard. I would say I saw some stat where there's some girl who no one knows who hits a lot of bases. I mean, not that I – okay, no disrespect. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. But uh, Alexandrova, I think, maybe. Okay. Um, and so how many have I picked? Four? You guessed three. I guess two more. Who is a big serve? This is only 500,000 events? Yeah. Uh, I'll give you a hint. They're not people you'd think of have huge serves. Maybe one of them. Okay. I'll go with... You also have to play enough matches. You have to be good at tennis. It's not only about how good your serve is. So maybe Rubikini isn't even on there. Uh, uh, 
Ons, I'll go with Ons and Sakari. Why not? Who cares? They play a lot of matches. That was really good. The, you, okay. got, you got all of them except one. Okay, so who did I not get? You didn't get Paula Bedosa. Oh, my God. Okay. So who, who, who did I name that was not on there? Like, uh, you named – who's the last person you named? Uh, Ons. No, Ons is on here. Who's the other one? Sakari, I said. Yeah, you didn't, you didn't guess Paula Bedosa. That's no, I didn't. No, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it goes Ribikina, Ons Jabor, Alexandrova, Bedosa, Sakari. Okay, Bedosa surprises me, and so does Sakari, even though I guessed them. Okay. All right, uh, let, 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 we have a minute left. It's a, let's do a quick one. Let's do a quick one. Okay. Who – okay, this is very simple. There is a player who is going to play in Wimbledon who is going to be the first player in the history of tennis to have 20 appearances at every single major. He's played 80 majors, more than 80 majors. Who is the player who's going to be playing in Wimbledon that has appeared in singles in 20, uh, all four majors 20 times? Nadal? Good, good guess. Feliciano Lopez. Oh, he's playing singles at Wimbledon? Yeah, he got in. Oh, <laughs> he got oh in. my God. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious. He's going to get destroyed i would think okay Vid. well that was a little quick little trivia there with the feliciano lopez interesting right i mean 20 grand slams uh 20 grand slams that he's playing all of them pretty pretty crazy stat i would have thought nadal too i didn't um, i didn't even know that he was playing singles i thought yeah, he was, was entered yeah yeah because of all the with like the russia stuff and everything i think nice. he got it um direct entry but okay so let's let's just i'll just give you one more quick trivia this is an interesting one and it's very current as well. Um, can you name three of the four active players that have the most wins against the top 10 without themselves ever being in the top 10 throughout their career? Wait, wait, th th three? Three of the four, can you, or two of the four. I mean, whatever, two of the four would be really- Outside the top 10, okay, who's been just outside the top 10? They've never been in the top 10, but they have the most wins uh, against the top 10 of active players. Is and bonus point if you can get the order. Oh, Kyrgios, obviously. I'll say, is Feliciano Lopez on there? I'll say They're both on there. So you're two for two so far. So there's two more. These are going to be basically impossible. But you really have to dig deep. Chilich has been in the top ten. Yeah. yeah. Um, no more hints. That's not a hint. That's just me validating something that I thought. Two more. Yeah. Good job in the first two. Uh. Jill Simone and he might have been in the top 10, but I'll, I'll, he'll, he'll be my third guy. And then my fourth guess will be, I don't know. I didn't even, I don't even have a fourth guess to give it to me. You, well, you never would have gotten it. So <laughs> it's uh, Feliciano Lopez, Nick Kyrgios, like I said, Philip Kohlschreiber and Sam Query. Wow. Yeah. I was looking at the, the Americans' best results at Wimbledon. Sam Query's gotten to the semis like twice, good quarters once or twice. Crazy, right? Yeah. Crazy. 
And shout out to the Americans, by the way. Shout out to Marcos Giron making the quarters this week. Beating his, beating his teammate. Beating his teammate. It was like it could have been a UCLA um, match to see what, who plays number one in the lineup. Who, who, who did he play? Who's, who, who did he play? It was Mackenzie McDonald. Mackenzie McDonald, yes. That leads us – well, that actually leads us great, really well into our next segment. Um, I don't know, Vid, do you want to introduce the, the next segment? Yeah, our next segment is – we have our first guest on the pod, world-renowned Sports better. I don't know what they call it these days, but specializes in tennis and handicapper. Handicapper. Yes, handicapper. And we're really lucky to have him on. And he wanted, you know, it's actually unfortunate that he wants to remain anonymous because if if he let us use his name, that really could have driven up our views or listens to the podcast. So, but we have our friend here. What do we want to call him, Drew? What's his name? Um. The tennis gambler, the ten, the tennis gambler, TTG, TTG, and let's 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 keep in mind that his his form of income is through betting on tennis. So this is not this is not he doesn't play games. This guy's the real deal. So anyway, you know, me and Vid we talk on the pod about odds sometimes, kind of here and there. But we wanted to dedicate a segment on um, for the TTG to come on. So we're going to start with the two fifty events and the WTA five hundred. Uh, see what he looks uh, with those, and then we're going to kind of move on uh, to the Wimbledon odds. So with that, welcome. Uh, really appreciate you joining us, and uh, I don't know what, uh, what your thoughts are on, on uh, the odds in general or how these tournaments have been going this week in general. Yeah, it's great to be here, boys. Thanks for having me. Always, always nice to jump on a pod and kind of share the predictions with the fans, too. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to get into it. You know, where do you want to start? Mallorca, Eastbourne? Bad Holmberg. Can we can we start with you? Just do you want to give us a quick like thirty second background on how you got into this? Were you a tennis player? Um, don't have to go into too much detail, but you know. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I was born with a really nice forehand, so kind of played growing up, uh, and just just a huge fan. Love it all. Love the main love love the main tournament. You know, the pro pro tournaments. Love love the ITFs. Love the challengers. Love it all. So yeah, excited to chat. Yeah, no question, no question. Why don't we start with Mallorca ATP event? I'm looking at it right now. We kind of mentioned Marcos Giron. He's going against Stefanos tomorrow. What I'm seeing initially, um, TTG, is a lot of big favorites and big underdogs. I'm not sure how you would play this or if anything catches your eye from a gambling perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at Mallorca, there's a lot of, a lot of heavy favorites. So I'm thinking this might be a nice parlay situation. And I think with the I favorites go, or the underdogs? Oh, with the favorites on this. Because, you know, you're looking at Daniil, minus 380. I'm looking at Talon, minus 425. Pass 450. Bonsai, minus 290. I just, I mean, I think that if you even take Stefanos, Daniil, and Talon, Talon is playing Antoine Bellier. I don't, I don't, I'm not giving Antoine good, good chances there. You parlay all that, you're getting even odds. Okay, so, so the, the tennis gambler's advice is to basically for the Mallorca tournament is to go with the favorites. I don't know about Daniil against Roberto Batista Agut, a former Wimbledon semifinalist. So that one kind of scares me a little bit, but I agree. There's no way that Giron is beating Stefanos, and I don't see Bellier beating Greek sport either. Um, 
Although this has I been a pretty good run. For, yeah. I don't see I don't see Bonsai losing either, honestly. So to Altemeyer, is Bonsai a guy who should? Here's here's my question for ben, Benjamin Bonsai. Is yeah. he a guy who can really be favored at the minus three hundred level against anyone? Is he is he good enough? I feel like no, but he has a lot of good recent performances that warrant those odds. You know, beating Shapo had a couple other big wins. He he's kind of dropped off recent in the last couple of tournaments, but he he's more talented than Daniel for sure. Okay, yeah. No, I will say that Antoine Bellier. I, we might be looking at another Timmy Van Richthofen kind of, kind of deal. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's, what, 300 in the world? What if he goes on to win the tournament? It's possible. He was playing IT. He was literally playing ITF yeah. this season. He's about to double. He's, like, he's going to make his prize money. If he wins, he gets the finals, he'll equal his career prize money. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's tough with Anton Bellier coming in and uh, with no experience. So I think at some point he will fall off. So I still like Greek sport to beat him. Let's move on here. Uh, let's go to ATP Eastbourne. Again, interesting. couple of Americans. We had Tommy Paul beat Sinner today. Um, this one I'm seeing a lot closer odds. A lot of minus 115, minus 110. Uh, you've got Norrie against Cressy, Bublik against Fritz, and Dimonor against Tommy Paul. Those are some salivating matchups for Eastbourne. Uh, I don't know if they're um, TTG. We're cool cut that out. But TTG, was there anything that caught your mind here in terms of Eastbourne, or who who do you like kind of win the tournament? Maybe uh, win tomorrow. I think I, I think I like the Americans here, honestly. So a little snippet for you: Bublik three and zero against Fritz lifetime. But but I just think the way things have been going recently, you know, with Bublik having some disappointing performances, I think you take Fritz here. I like it. I think it's going to be a really close contest, but I think he breaks through for first first victory. I'm going to I'm going to push back on you there, TTG. Fritz hasn't really shown good form on the grass. I know I know you're the expert, but he has not ever since that win in um uh, you know, in Miami when he won the tournament, he hasn't been doing great. I mean, in Queens he lost to Draper 3 and 2. Um and then he lost first round also at the tournament in the Netherlands to Timmy Van Reith driven in three sets. And in the French Open, he lost second round to Zapata Mirais. So, TTG, I'm going to have to push back on you there because he has not been informed. I, yeah, I think this is more of a feel situation right here. Sometimes yeah, no, I agree with Vin. I, I, you go ahead. Go ahead. No, TTG. Sometimes you feel it in your gut, you know? So, I think that's what I'm riding with here. Okay. I would, the one thing I'll say that might go with the TTG's argument is that. Bublik is, so we, we've said Bublik's 3-0 against Fritz, right? And Fritz has been playing terribly, but it's basically a coin toss. So why is it a coin toss with all those indicators to favor Bublik? Maybe you make a contrarian play and go in Fritz, but I'm staying away from that. I'm staying away from that match. Everything about it disgusts me. And I'm, I want to get uh, TTG's opinion on this one. I actually like I actually like Tommy Paul plus 170 tomorrow against Alex Dimonor. I would say... If you know both guys pretty even, I, I don't I don't know why. Why do you think Demonor is favored over Paul? Why do I think he's favored over Paul? I mean, I yeah. just think he's, he has some nice performances on grass. I think overall he's probably been playing better recently. And Tommy doesn't have a great history on grass, just breaking through in these last couple tournaments. So I mean, I think all that being said, I, I like that here because I don't see a lot of other plays where you're kind of riding with the underdog. So I, I think yeah, TCG stamp of approval on this one, Drew. Okay, TTG stamp of approval on Tommy Paul for Alex D. Menor. Um, Vin, I don't know. Did you have any, any thoughts on any of these, any of these Eastbourne matches? 
Eastbourne matches, yeah, Tommy's been playing great, great results. But I honestly like what TTG has been saying, right, about that he hasn't proven himself on the grass until recently. Yeah. So I do agree with that. It'll be interesting. TTG, do you know what the line is for the Cressy-Nori match? Because that there might be some value there if Cressy's an underdog. Cressy's definitely an underdog. I think I'm excited to hear why you think he has a chance to win. I think Nori just plays well against those big servers. I agree with TTG. Vid, why do you think Cressy has a chance against Nori? Nori can hit angles. He's great at dipping balls at the net, backhand, forehand. Nori's only minus 205. Maybe they know something we don't know. Maxime's been playing pretty well recently. I'll Uh, say – the Maxime serve on grass is is tough. I agree Nori is, you know, really good at probably blocking that back and getting it down to his feet. But Cressy on grass is tough. And also, also Cressy can beat anyone on and can lose to anyone as well. I, I, I played with him when we were, you know, in high school. And it was his serve that was everything. And his groundies were awful. And that's really improved. So... I think he can win, beat anyone, or lose anyone. And he's come a long way since high school, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I'm, I would probably just take Nori because he's also good on grass. So he's a Brit. We know the Brits are better on grass, but I guess we can disagree and, like, come back to that one. Yeah, yeah. Also, I will say on the, on the Tommy Paul match, minus 155 to win a set. So Tommy Paul is minus 155 just to win one set. Yeah. That's why we bring TTG on is for those kind of insights. I think if you don't want to go for the Tommy Paul out, right, his serve is a little, you know, not great. But do you think he's going to win a set? Yeah, I do. Maybe that's the play. But it's nice to get TTG introduced to the listeners. Um, and hopefully we will have him on maybe for some a little shorter segment next time or, or whenever he's available. He's a busy man. You know, a lot of people need him. A lot yeah, of- you know, I think send me some swag if you have some for being on. Appreciate it. Thank you, TTG. Have a good one. All right. Now, for our next segment, we're going to get into the action that's going on around Europe. We got Mallorca, Eastbourne, women's, men's, and the Bad Hamburg Open in, I believe, Germany. Is that where it is? See, I know Hamburg's in Germany. Bad Hamburg, I would assume. I think it is in Germany. I watched some of the matches. Um, but, yeah, what a, what a weird name for a city, huh? Bad Hamburg. But <laughs> I guess it means something else in German. Uh, it must. But yeah, interesting name nonetheless. But where do we want to start? Should we start at, let's start at Eastbourne? Uh, Eastbourne men or Eastbourne women? Let's start with the Eastbourne men and then go to women. Okay, yeah, let's do it. So what we're now into the quarterfinals in Eastbourne, we have... The Brits continue continuing to do well. Some Americans in the mix. Um, and who do you see kind of coming out of these sections? I guess we could start on top talking about Nori and Cressy. Um, first, I just want to give another shout out to the Brits. Uh, Cam Nori, Jack Draper um, in, in the in the quarters, and Ryan Penniston against Pedro Martinez just has to be finished tomorrow. Um, that's the round of sixteen match. And I want to say one caveat to that is Pedro Martinez and I think Schwartzman got all their stuff from their hotel robbed. So this is a pretty crazy situation when you're talking about the Penniston. Yeah, yeah. Who's Schwartzman and who? Uh, Pedro Martinez. That's insane. I didn't know that. 
Pedro Martinez and Peniston have to play the third set tomorrow morning, I guess. And I don't even know if Pedro Martinez has like any of his stuff. So it's kind of a crazy situation, but good for the Brits. Um, and if Peniston win, he's going to play Jack Draper in the quarter. So that would be a crazy Brit versus Brit quarterfinal uh, matchup, a rematch of a challenger match earlier in the year when Peniston beat Draper. Um, but yeah, my eyes are first in this Pedro Martinez Peniston match. And then, um, yeah, I think Bublik, I know people like kind of like make fun of him, whatever. He doesn't try sometimes, but when he's trying on grass because of his talent, I think he can beat Fritz. And I wouldn't be surprised if he made the finals. Really? Yeah, that's interesting you say that because Fritz has not had a great start to the grass season. I know he is capable of playing well, but has not been off to a quick start in any of the tournaments. And what I'm seeing is Tommy Paul, huge win against Yannick Sinner, and he's been producing some really great results all the way back to March when he beat Zverev in Indian Wells. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Tommy Paul getting through his match against Demonor and then playing Fritz or Bublik. And I also give him a shot there. So I don't think it would be crazy to see Tommy Paul in the finals of this tournament if he keeps up uh, the level that he's been at. Yeah, the only thing I'll say about Tommy Paul is off the ground, guy's a magician. He can do pretty much anything. I think his serve is a little bit of a weakness. Like his motion isn't extremely smooth and his first serve doesn't get that many free points. So talent-wise, I agree. Um, but I just think his serve can sometimes be inconsistent. And listen, Sinner, I mean, just a, not a very good season so far for someone who's supposed to be a rising star and just signed a $150 million deal with Nike. Um, not great. But, uh, yeah, in terms of the top half, I would say Cam, Cam Nori, I think he's going to beat Cressy. I know you said that you think Cressy has a chance to beat him with his big serve. Maybe. Um, but I would, I'd like to see Cam Nori against Draper in the semis. That would be uh, incredible. And, yeah, just confirming my earlier stat, Pedro Martinez and Diego Schwartzman had a bunch of stuff stolen from them. Pedro Martinez specifically got his – one of his most valuable watches stolen. So uh, that'll be interesting to see. But yeah. You hate to see that, but that's what happens when you hold tournaments in Bumblefuck England. So Eastbourne is Bumblefuck England? I honestly don't know. I just said that. But, <laughs> but, but let's just talk about this real quick. Peniston Draper, if Peniston gets through, do you think that, like you mentioned, Draper did play Peniston in a challenger earlier this year? Yeah the result will be the same, or do you think Draper will be able to get him? I will say that I watched the Draper-Schwartzman match, only the end of it, and Draper did get very nervous. He was able to pull it out, but the nerves really kicked in for him. So I don't know if it'll be be even more nervous against his fellow countrymen or if he'll kind of be relaxed because he is through to the quarters. So I don't know what your thoughts are with that. Was he double faulting at all? I guess that's my question about Draper when he was nervous. I feel like I've seen that sometimes with him. I don't recall him double faulting. He was started to go really big and was missing. And then he got even tighter. And instead of hitting through the ball, he was just hitting. Pushing. Uh, yeah, he was just putting a, way too much topspin on the ball. And it was landing, you know, at the service line and yeah. getting right into Diego's strike zone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know I know what that is that feels like kind of from a lefty perspective because your forehand's always your weapon. 
And then we get a little nervous, you're kind of spinning it too much and it's not spinning it deep, but you're landing it short. So I hope this isn't, I, maybe this is just a, a initial nerves from Draper, but based on Draper's whole honestly social media presence and overall vibe, I would think that he'd be a PTPer, aka a guy who steps up in these type of moments. So that's just from the vibe I get from him, that's a little surprising. But if he was nervous in that situation, then yes, I think he will be nervous against Ryan Penniston uh, if they do play. But at the same time, they're basically, I think Draper's a better version of Penniston, very similar players. So I would have to pick Draper just because I think he's overall better and, and, and talent-wise uh, has the edge, you know. And then do you think you can get through Nori? Who, who do you think, who do you see getting to the finals out of that top half? No, I think Nori's going to make the finals. I think Cam Nori's just... He's, he's pretty good. I guess maybe he doesn't hit the ball as flat, which might not be good on grass, but these are slower grass courts as well. So I, I think Nori's always someone who gets disrespected, but the guy is just a clear top 12, top 13 talent, and you always say he's going to – no, he's not going to lose to guys who are, you know, 60, 70 in the world. Like, he could, but he should not – he should be favored for sure to make the finals, and he's definitely my pick to, to make the finals and, and probably win the event, yeah. Yeah, like you said, the grass courts do play a lot slower now, and I think they do that for the longer rallies for the fans, which you see some of the players like Kyrgios not really loving. So it is an interesting one, but we'll see kind of what happens there. Should we move? What on? about you? Who do you think is going to win? I think I think Draper is going to beat Penniston, and I'll just say Cressy is going to beat Nori. Okay. Okay. Do you think, I think, honestly, Cressy could win the tournament. I agree with that. Cressy could win it. You think he could win the tournament? Yes. See, I think he can have some big wins, but for him to string together – see, for him, here's the thing. For him, every win is a big win. It's true, actually. <laughs> but he could beat anyone. Does that yeah. make sense? Oh, 100% makes sense. So even, even the first round, like, you think he's going to lose. Like, you're like, okay, I – He's a great player, but if you have a good return and he has, doesn't have a great serving day, it's tough for him to win one round. But then it's like he plays the best players and he has a chance. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Exactly. He could beat anyone. He could lose anyone. So, yeah, I'll, I'll – sure, why not? I'll say he'll beat Nori. And just because I like Jack Draper, I'll say Jack Draper will get to the finals. I don't know. No, nothing to back that up. But I'll say this. It would be cool to have a, this, just the story of a young upstart Brit winning an ATP event going into Wimbledon. Just to have that uh, aspect, that would be cool. So I'm kind of rooting for that as well. But don't think it will happen. Yeah, a little bit of a long shot, but would be cool to see. Should we move over to the women now? Yeah, let's do the women. And the one thing I'll say, just coming into the event, that I was very surprised by was having a WTA – first of all, there's less WTA 500s on the calendar than ATP 500s. So it makes it more of a must-play situation because the points aren't available as much on the ATP, which means a lot of the top players do end up like playing this, these events. Um, so I was surprised to see a WTA 500 the week before Wimbledon, not only that, but a 64 draw, not even a 32 draw. So that's my thought of it. I don't know. Were you surprised to see kind of this event right before Wimbledon with all these matches, all these top players? Yeah, I was surprised to see it, but I think, I think some of the top players are not playing it, taking it off, which may be smart, but it also gives an opportunity to kind of that midfield section of the women's rankings and even below them to get some points and 
kind of bolster their ranking. So it is, it is interesting to see a 500 on the women's side right before Wimbledon. And I will say, I'm not sure if they, this was added to the calendar or if it was replaced by something else, but there is a 500, a new women's 500 in San Diego in October. So that'll oh, be a 500. That'll be really interesting to see. Yep. It's a 500 in San Diego. Yep. Yep. Always love these events that, that are added to, to either calendar. But I'll say the other thing, too, I want to say, make one mention about the WTA website, is that usually when you're looking up draws and you want a PDF format, for example, the ATP website, you can download the PDF and it'll have the up-to-date results. I just went to the WTA website, downloaded the draw, and the PDF is only updated through the first round, whereas we're in the quarterfinals tomorrow. So, um, yeah, I did little things like that that you want to help people be fans of the sport. So I, I, I'm not able to see that the extended draw on the WTA website. So that's just an uh, anecdote. But going to the tournament, uh, really interesting. Haddad Maya, I thought, was going to pull out after winning all those events. Um, she came in. She's won all of her matches, beat Jody Barrage, is now in the quarterfinals. That's, that's huge. Harriet Dart also beating Kosick today was great to see. Another Brit making a run uh, on the women's side here. And then uh, Colonina also make, make, make making a run. So I don't know. What, what are your thoughts overall on the on the quarterfinals? Kind of the, the event who's been doing well. Yeah. No. I think it's really great to see Harriet Dart continuing her success. And she actually had to wrap up a match. I can't remember who she was playing, but before she played Kostiak, she had to finish her match from the other day. So she won that and beat Kostiak in the same day. So that was really impressive. You're right. Um, Haddad Maya. Jill, she played Jill Teichman. Yeah, yeah, Jill Teichman. That's a really big win. By yeah, huge. Beating Jill Teichman. Huge win. Uh, Haddad Maya, you're saying that you're surprised that she didn't pull out of this event? I, I'm not. She. I wouldn't say that she's ranked um, – at a level where she can kind of just pull out, I would think that she needs the momentum that she's had. So it's good to see that, see that she's doing that. And I'm not surprised that she stayed in the draw and didn't pull out. So um, it's good to see that she's continuing her success. And honestly, a name that I'm looking at who is a big name, but has, there hasn't been much discussion about not a great season so far and is in the quarters is Camilla Georgie. So it'll be interesting to see how she does um, in this tournament and also at Wimbledon. Yeah. Her game is suited to grass court, like traditional grass court, I guess. Huge serve, hits the ball really flat, first strike tennis, um, but at the same time, someone who's just not consistent enough. So, yeah, it's interesting to see, but even if she wins this week, I don't necessarily think that you're going to be going into Wimbledon and looking at Camila Georgie and saying, this is someone who can make an extended run because she did a good job last week. Whereas someone like Harriet Dart, who's more of a consistent player, if she can put it together this week, I think she's someone that should be on the radar of sport of tennis fans and of the odds makers kind of going into the event, slowly building the confidence. Right. Right. And the one thing I will say about Camilla Georgie is she is a player who's, her life isn't tennis. She's really into other things, her modeling deal and things outside of the tennis court. Is she, is, she like a, is she like a model that contracted to model or does she like taking pictures where she looks like a model? Do we have a confirmation on that? I have no clue. <laughs> no idea. 
I just know, I, yeah, I know she definitely likes taking the pictures, but I don't know if she's actually a contracted model, but if you could, if you could look that up for us, but yeah, she's not, you know, she's not, doesn't seem very focused on tennis 110%. So yeah, it wouldn't be surprising if she went out of Wimbledon early, even though, like you said, her game is, is well suited for the grass. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think she's actually a model. I think she just likes posting pictures where um, she, she may be a model, but we're going to have to look into that. So if you're listening to the pod and you, and you know about what the accurate statement is regarding uh, Camilla George's employment, is she part-time tennis player, part-time model, or is she full-time tennis player, recreational model, just reach out to us because uh, we would like some, some clarification on that front. Yeah, that would be much appreciated. Should we um, jump over to Mallorca? Yeah, let's jump over to Mallorca. I would just say in terms of picks, for this event, I'll go. I will go with. Um, I'm going to go with Austin Penko to win the tournament. But who, who would you pick if you had to? Just quickly. Uh, quickly to win the tournament. I'm going to go. I'll go Hadad Maya. I'll say that she'll continue her streak. I yeah. mean, a lot of, you know, these streaks continue for a long time. I'll go with her. I got my Brazil shirt on right now, so. I'm going to say Haddad Maya is going to continue that and win this and hopefully look to continue that form into Wimbledon. So Such a good player. Such a good player. Just another one of those players where it's like, where have you been? Where have you been? You watch her play. Just beautiful to watch. And, yeah, why, why not? Why not win another tournament? Why not win Wimbledon? Maybe she's the only competition for Iga. She's like, Iga's she's, – she's building a streak right now. Iga's building a streak. Maybe that's the final of Wimbledon. Haddad Maya against Iga. Uh, yeah, Mallorca. Mallorca, yeah. Let's see what we're looking at in Mallorca. Mallorca is an interesting one. So interesting. And, and somewhat, somewhat wide open as well, you know, but also not wide open. Like, you have the two best players and you have a bunch of players who are looking to kind of take advantage Right, yeah, you got a lot. It's a lot of a mix, mix in there of kind of the level and the experience of player. You know, you have Medvedev and Pass, and then you have a guy who's three hundred in the world, big win against Karina Busta, and just just being in the quarters is a big tournament for him. So we'll have to see kind of what he can do. I think the first thing I'm looking at here is Steph specifically, just because. You know that he's one of the top five players on, in the world, and he doesn't look comfortable 100% on the grass. He's never had the best results there. I know last year he lost in the first round of Wimbledon to TFO. But at the same time, I do think that the tools are there within his game where he could excel on grass, right? He's got the one-handed backhand, which is always good on grass, shorter, shorter swing. Uh, kind of absorbing the power. He's got the slice on his one-handed backhand as well. And then when his serve's working, nobody can, nobody in the world can really touch it. So I think the more reps that he gets on grass, the better he's going to get and the more he's going to learn his own game and how to adapt that to grass. Um, so I, I, in terms of who I think this tournament's important for, I would say Stefanos because he can raise his level, in my opinion, and break through that glass ceiling of, of legitimately being a, a really good grass court player finally. And then, and then you say maybe he has a chance of winning, you know? Yeah, that's a good take. But I, don't, I agree with the overall statement that he you know, may be able to unlock 
some potential to be a real threat on the grass, but I don't think that that's going to happen this tournament and Wimbledon. It may happen next year, maybe 2024, like, you know, down the line in his career. But I don't think we're going to see that this grass season. Even if he were to go on to win this tournament, which I don't think he's going to do, I think he would still be a question mark going into Wimbledon as to how far he could go. So, no, I agree. I agree with you that it's probably not going to happen. But at the same time, you never know when that kind of click will happen within a player's mind, within a player's like body of really feeling comfortable on a surface. And it could it could happen this this tournament. But I agree with you. I don't think it will. Yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely definitely can happen whenever. But but it's tough to tough to see that for Steph. So. In terms of this tournament, I would think if Medvedev can get through Batista Agu, I think he's going to win the tournament. And even if, even before he does, I'll say now I think he's going to win the tournament. I think he's going to get through Batista Agu, which will be a tough match. Um, Batista was Wimbledon semifinalist. And then after that, I think he'll be off to the races. Maybe we'll play Greek Sport in the semis and maybe Steph in the final. But I think... In terms of winning the tournament, I'd have to go with Medvedev. Do you think it's like anticlimactic for him? Just it's to me, it's weird seeing him and Rublev in these tournaments, like playing on grass, and they're not going to play Wimbledon. Do you think that, like, even when he's so he's Medvedev's lost in the finals both the last week, and it just seems like, yeah, he cares he lost, but he's kind of just there doing really doing a job more than anything. I, I, that's what I think at least. You know, a hundred percent. I totally agree because. You're playing these tune-up tournaments to get to that gold prize, which is the slams, where you have the opportunity to win a major, which is kind of the pinnacle of the sport. You're not playing, when you're at that level, you're not playing the sport to play the 250s and the 500 maybe tune-ups. I think they're there to play grand slams. So if you're not able to do that, I wouldn't... um, it makes sense that he's not excited to be there. I'm not holding anything against him. If he even said that, I don't want to be playing these tournaments. Yeah. Especially, especially Medvedev. And every time I see him play and I, I see him on the court, I just feel even worse that he's not allowed to even have a chance at Wimbledon. You know, So it's just, for me, watching him over the past few weeks has been a very weird experience. That's, 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 that's my take on it. I honestly feel worse for Medvedev than I do for Rublev. In, with regards to not being able to play Wimbledon because Rublev I didn't really see and I don't think anyone did as a contender to win the tournament and Medvedev I think certainly everyone did he was up there with Novak, Nadal, Berrettini as one of the top four guys in the mix to win the tournament so I could definitely see why he'd be frustrated and you know why he'd really want to play Wimbledon and also maybe that frustration is creeping into him on the court with him kind of reaming out his coach Gilles Savara at these tournaments. I don't know if it's related at all, but um, that's always interesting to see. And also I'd love to know, I would love to know what his wife thinks and feels when she's sitting right next to Gilles and Medvedev. Daniil is just screaming his head off at his coach. Cause that seems to be an interesting situation, but it's just borderline abusive, isn't it? It's one thing to get mad at your coach or yell at like kind of Murray does where he gets frustrated, maybe yells at his entire box. But it's just different when you're verbally abusing your, your coach who's – I mean, there's nothing he can do right now. Sure, he can maybe coach you in the future and it's to be trial. But in terms of how his, or his wife feels, I, I saw her in tears at the, at the last event that he played Perkos, um, where she was basically crying and was like, I cannot – I'm just so embarrassed right now by, by what's going on. But 
I, yeah. Do you think that he would fire this guy or, or it's just like he's getting angry right now because of the whole Wimbledon situation and everything else? I don't think he's going to fire his coach. I think they've had a pretty good run together. I mean, he has gotten to, you know, won the U.S. Open, finals of the Australian Open. He's been doing good. So I, I don't think Giles is going anywhere anytime soon. I mean, do you think that a coaching change would get him over kind of any hump? Like, I don't think if there, I don't think any other coach would have changed that result in the Australian Open. You know, for hypothetically, I don't think that's a coaching thing. That's a that's a your you know a mental thing and an adult playing an amazing thing. And that's the only thing that I could see him wanting to get better at is winning the slam. So I, I don't think it would be right for him. Yeah, to- I just think that. Medvedev has, I think, changed as a person since the Australian Open final. I just, I don't see, I don't know, he just doesn't seem 100%. Something about being up two sets to Rafa and having the crowd against him so much, and some of his comments after the match from the Australian Open have still stuck with me about how he used to play for fun. He was a kid kind of dreaming about playing the majors, and now he's just, you know, doing it as his, as his job. So I think that mentally... Since the Australian Open, he just hasn't been the same player, hasn't been playing with the same joy on the court. Um, so I think he's going through something mentally, really. Yeah, yeah well, hopefully that changes. And I'll, t- I'll tell you, certainly when Novak, Nadal, and Federer retire, uh, he'll definitely be the guy that I'll be cheering for at the slams, undoubtedly. Over Alcaraz? Yeah, I think so. I think over Alcaraz. Yep. Because Alcaraz is going to be winning so many, you know that. Alcaraz is so good, and he's but, so young. And I'm going to think Medvedev's like kind of getting old now. What is he, 26 or something? 20, yeah, 26, maybe cutting on 27. Yeah. Not a young guy anymore, so he's going to need to start racking up the slams. So I'll definitely be. Yeah, but we can't look at it. We can't look at he needs to keep racking up the slams because we're so spoiled by these three amazing players that. Yeah, you, he needs to rack up the slams, but it's like that's hard to do. He's already had an amazing career. No. I fear, I fear that we're gonna look at back after this, and every player is just gonna be like, we're not like an Andre Agassi, for example, or I, I, I don't know, some of these guys, Leighton Hewitt, Andy Roddick. We're like, if they happen now, we'd be like, yeah, their their career is not that good. But when they we have to realize how amazing their careers are, but we're being spoiled by these three guys who have 20 slams. And it's ruining our – we're putting on rose-colored glasses when we're looking at someone's career. That's, that's the way I think of it, at least. Yeah, no, I, I agree. When I say rack up slams, I don't mean get to 20 slams. I don't mean even get to 14 slams, but just a, a few more, I think. I mean. um, but he'll be the guy that I go for. And now we're going to kind of get into talking a little bit about – the prize money discrepancy between the guys and the girls, which was brought to honestly my attention from Marta Kostiak's Instagram story, comparing the prize money in two of the tournaments, can't remember which ones, Berlin and somewhere else, where the men were getting paid significantly more than the women. So we're going to get into our thoughts on that right now. Yeah, so you're exactly right. Marta on Instagram, the caption was, uh, are we really that bad? And then it illustrated the prize money in uh, the two simultaneous 500 level events that were going on in Germany that uh, that week. And the result of that was the ATP event winner earned 400,000 euros 
and the WTA event winner earned 55,000 euros. Now, I know that these, this was not a combined event, both in one city, they were in different cities, but both 500 events, both in Germany, um, and just a really large difference in prize money there. I know there's always going to be some variation in terms of uh, the, the, the income, but to me, that's just a very large difference. I don't know what you thought. Yeah, definitely that discrepancy in the prize money does seem to be fairly large. And the tournaments are definitely not putting out any type of rationale behind their prize money, which would be nice to see, but it's something that we're not going to get. The women definitely deserve to kind of be paid at that same range that the men do, especially if it's same level event and the amount of sets that they're playing is the same. I wouldn't say the same thing for majors because the men are playing three out of five set matches, the women are not. So it does make sense that the men are getting paid more there. And the other thing I'll say with regards to combined events is we can't have a big difference in prize money at combined events because there's no way to justify that because there's no way to understand whether people are coming for men's matches, women's matches, because you often have them intertwined throughout the day. And there's no reason why the men should be getting paid more than the women in those circumstances. So the only time I'd say where it makes sense that the men are getting paid more would be kind of at the slams because they are playing more tennis and therefore should be getting paid uh, more money. Yeah. I mean, do you see this as more of a, problem with the WTA as to where they're scheduling events because they're not able to generate the revenue and that there should be like maybe more combined events so the revenue can be similar? Or do you, do you see it as just a fundamental equality thing where every level of tournament that is the same level, whether it's a 250 or a 500 or a thousand should be very similar? Because I agree, I think the best thing to do would be combined events because they're great for the fans. They're probably great for the players because they get to meet each other and hang out and um they're great for ratings and overall equality so my kind of i guess solution to this would be just look for more combined events you already know the the locations where the tournament does well where a lot of people are buying tickets where the tv ratings are higher so i think this kind of inequality that we're seeing could be cause for even more events that are combined men and women Interesting you say that, actually. I was watching an interview. Stephanos was talking to the ATP chairman, and they were discussing how more combined events would be better for definitely the fans, maybe the players as well. And they didn't even discuss the angle of prize money, but I think that it would be a great thing. Then there's no discrepancy in location, in ticket prices, and we'd be able to pay equally and it would be justified that they were getting paid equally because you know it honestly may potentially i don't it's hard to believe that it would be justified but if you look at the data economically it may make sense that the women are getting paid less at that particular event in germany just because they're not generating a lot of revenue from the tournament but we just don't know we can't jump to conclusions like that and i think if we did have the combined events then it would be more fun for everyone and we'd be able to pay the men and the women equally as they should be get paid. And it would just be kind of good for the sport in general.
I would say from a fan perspective, as a tennis fan who has traveled to many different tournaments, the allure of an event that has both men's and women's is definitely greater for me. Like if I'm going to a Miami or Indian Wells, BNP Paribas Open, I have an actively more enjoyable time because I'm able to watch the men that I'm a fan of, the women that I'm a fan of, and if there's not a great men's match, maybe there's a good women's match. And also just to see the distinction in games and just distinction in strategies uh, between both sides. Like for, this, for example, this year, I know Washington DC was never a combined event. And now it's a, it's a combined event, men's and women's. Whereas in the past, it was only a men's event, which was great. But every time I went there, I was like, wow, I wish I could see some women's tennis as well. So I think it draws more fans in just from, this is an anecdotal from my perspective, but it uh, draws more fans in as, as well. Oh, 100%. 100% going to draw more fans in. If It's probably rare that you get someone who's, you know, just solely a women's tennis fan or solely just a men's tennis fan. But if you do have those people, it gives them a chance to get exposure to the other, the other gender that's playing. And it is a great thing for the players as well. Like you said, because you know, they probably, yeah, and the, the other thing that, on tour, I yeah. want to hang out with girls. And if you're a girl on tour, you'd probably think you'd want to be hanging out with guys. So, and these are, these are not, you know, some of the players that are at these events, they're not, you know, in their thirties, forties, they're like young 20 year old kids. So like us, so you'd assume that's what they would want. Exactly. Then they can just hang out with the opposite gender at the tournament or at the tournament hotel while getting their physio, as opposed to going, doing some self-destructive habits and going on the town drinking and meeting like the local girls or guys who are uh, at that event. The, other, the last thing I'll say on this is I think the tours have realized that you don't have to have the same level of event just because it's a combined event. Like Miami, we know is a thousand for both, but the DC event that I mentioned, that's a ATP 500, a WTA 250, but it's still drawing a lot of WTA stars because they know how high profile of an event that is. Similar this week in Eastbourne, it's a WTA 500 and a ATP 250. So there's no rules and regulations. I think there was one event where it was a challenger men's and a 250 women. So there's no rules where it has to be the same uh, level of event. I think that tours are kind of realizing that and uh, implementing more of these creative combined style events, which which I love and I think could solve this issue of major inequality uh, in terms of women earning less. Right, totally agree. I will say that, but then if you have those events where it's a different level, then the prize money will, there will be a discrepancy in the prize money and there should be. Yes, that's true. That is true. I agree. I agree with that. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's just something, something I wanted to mention. So people need to think about this from every aspect. And I think, you know, it's an interesting topic that will, we were going to undoubtedly talk about, about at some point on the pod, and I'm sure there will be more, more discussion about it, but it's good to see that the ATP chairman, at least, is already taking steps to create more combined events. Yeah, so to wrap it up, we're going to do some honorable mentions. Drew, I don't know. Do you have any? I think I have one. Yeah, I have one. I have one honorable mention. What if it's the same person? It's definitely not going to be. So you can go first. Oh, do you have a challenger guy? <laughs> You'll see. <laughs> okay, my honorable mention is from the Mallorca Open. And it is the Swiss Antoine Bellier. 
Uh, we've discussed Bellier. Bellier. We've already discussed him on this podcast, but he's ranked, I think, 300, 305 around there in the world. But getting to the quarterfinals of this event is already big success for him, and he plays Greek sport tomorrow. So, you know, something really big for a guy ranked so low. So I thought I'd give him. So, Vid, are you setting your alarm on the West Coast to get up to watch Antoine Bellier and his Cinderella run in the event? No. I will not be getting – unfortunately, will not be getting up at 3 a.m. to watch him play. But I sure hope he beats Greek Spore. Definitely. Me too. I love love seeing those Futures Challengers guys getting their shot on the main tour. Um, so, I'm going to go a little bit off the board here. Not a tennis player. Um, but Lin-Manuel Miranda – he is known for creating the Broadway musical Hamilton. I'm not sure if you're, you guys are aware. But as of um, last week, now he's, he's following a little more people. But as of last week, he followed 16 people on Instagram. Eight of them were tennis related. So he only follows 16. Now he follows 30, but we'll just take it back to last week. And he follows Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Serena Williams, Coco Goff, Leila Fernandez, Carlos Alcaraz, Monica Puig, and uh, yes, those are the tennis accounts he followed. So last week, out of all his followers, 50% of them were related to tennis. So I think it's great when celebrities are outspoken about their love for tennis. The ATP Tour also follows him on Instagram. So this is a little bit of a, a unique one. So shout out to Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh, a, tennis, a tennis fan, uh, clearly. Um, who is this guy? What does this guy do? He's the Hamilton guy. Wow. Known for creating the Broadway, the Broadway musical. You know him. Right? I mean, I know.